from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200-WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And uh, this week, we're going to be talking federal data protection and privacy law. And I'm joined uh, by an attorney, Natalie Wilson. She's uh, with the largest San Antonio law firm and maybe one of the biggest in Texas. It's uh, just a Texas firm, Langley and Benack. Thank you so much for having me, Brett. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So uh, this is a, a hot topic out there in the world right now. There's uh, all sorts of stuff going on. You've got GDPR over in Europe. You've got everyone talking about all these the Facebook uh, data things and and all sorts of stuff. So you, you've got to be pretty busy. We are very busy, and it is an area that is tough to keep up with because, as you mentioned, it is changing daily. Um, and that's really what drew me to this area of the law. It's difficult, it's complex, um, and it's constantly evolving. And so there's always new things to learn, always new things to consider, always new problems to solve. Yeah. So if you're listening to this program and you think anything you're about to hear is legal advice, it's not. Um, it's Natalie sharing some thoughts on the radio. If you would actually like legal advice, uh, call her or call another attorney, um, become a client, and then they can give you specific legal advice for your situation. Right. You always want to ask specific questions, your specific facts. The more facts we know, the more our answers change. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, here we're going to talk about a bunch of things, um, what's going on out there regulatory-wise. And, I mean, data privacy, there's, I mean, nothing, I, the states and the federal laws, they're all um, working just in perfect harmony <laughs> with each other, right? That is the the hardest part of our job is when our clients come to us and say, well, I'm an internet-based business. Which laws do I have to comply with? Well, all of them. Yeah. I mean, not all the federal ones, obviously. Um, you might not fall under HIPAA or the uh, Education Rights Protection Act um, relating to educational records. But if you're an internet-based business with clients all over the country, you may be subject to all 50 of the different state laws, all of which have different requirements um, and different requirements within kind of the pillars of data uh, data protection and privacy. So it, the regulations relating to what you can collect, what you have to disclose, how you store it, how you report breaches, to whom you report breaches, when you report breaches, those are different across all 50 states and then at the federal level where you might have an industry-specific law that applies to your business. So figuring out how to comply with all those laws at the same time can be incredibly burdensome for businesses. And at times, and quite frankly, it can be impossible. It can be uh, literally to, impossible. Yeah, laws in different states can con conflict with each other. That's correct. Yes. Uh, where like one and uh, this is a hypothetical uh, here and maybe the laws say this maybe they don't but like one state might say they have a responsible disclosure law that you're not allowed to disclose a data breach until after you've been able to uh, remedy the the problem that allowed the data breach to happen uh, and another state might say that as immediately as soon as you're aware of the data breach you have to disclose the breach and you can't do both those things. That's correct. That's exactly the problems that companies are running into when they have nationwide businesses. And that is in large part what is driving the press toward a uniform federal law. Um, 
you know, it's amazing how far we've come in about 10 months. Last May, you may remember that people were kind of freaking out about the implementation of GDPR. And in fact, some American uh, web-based businesses shut down for a few days. The LA Times was not available to European subscribers for uh, a little under a week, maybe maybe three, four days, uh, because it wasn't their firewall wasn't ready yeah. to comply. My understanding is my hometown paper, the Baltimore Sun, is still not available in Europe or in many European countries. And my guess is that it's because they're not GDPR compliant. So they've just said, it's not a big enough part of our business. Yeah. We're not going to do it. But so many American businesses and big American businesses are already doing uh, international business. And they are having to comply with GDPR because they're not willing to give up those revenue streams. And I think as as those large businesses have gotten used to GDPR and gotten comfortable operating under that scheme, it has really ignited a cohesive push for for more uniform laws in the United States. Yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing enough states pop up with their own uh, laws at this point that you're, you're actually getting private sector to push Congress to get something done at a national level so we can have one cohesive rule set uh, to follow because implementing conflicting procedures, you can't do that. And implementing even just different procedures, even if they don't conflict across all 50 of the states, makes it very difficult um, it, for even large firms to, to deal with. But for, for smaller firms, you kind of have to go take a, a state like California or Massachusetts, look at what their rules are, and then just follow all of those and um, assume that they're as strict as any of the states are and that you're going to be good with everybody else if you follow the rules from those two. Right. I mean, that is kind of the safest course of action is just to say, well, I will impose upon myself the strictest standards I can find and hope that that will satisfy whatever state I am operating in in the event that there there is a breach or a complaint by a consumer. But the truth is you're not the you're not really protected and a business who's imposing upon themselves stricter standards than they have to may be at a competitive disadvantage yeah. to a company that says, you know what, I'm in Texas. Most of my clients are in Texas. Texas is not too onerous on the continuum. I'm going to go with Texas because that's the most likely state that's going to impact me or the AG who's most likely to sue me. And I'm going to take the risk that if I have a California a client that they're not going to complain that my privacy policy doesn't comply with the California law. And that is also an, an okay business decision yeah. to accept that risk. But it would be better from the business perspective to know that you're compliant all the time. And of course, your lawyers would like you to like you to be able to certify that you're you're compliant all the time and your insurers. That's a big part of this is that as more and more people adopt cyber insurance writers onto their corporate liability policies, their insurers are interested in making sure that they're complying. And it's really, really hard to figure out if you're complying sometimes under our current structure. Yeah, and, and it, I think it's it's even tricky in some cases. It, like, I mean, hypothetical here. So you have a, a Texas-based business, only has offices in Texas, only has employees in Texas, does stuff on the internet, 
Um, all of their customer contracts say that the venue is the Texas courts, that these are Texas contracts under Texas laws. If somebody from California signs that contract, does California law suddenly apply because that consumer is in the state of California? Or does the Texas law still govern? I think California might tell you I get to protect my own consumers. And the Texas, somebody might say that you signed a Texas law with Texas contract. You should have known what you were signing. That is exactly what the California law says. The California law says we're protecting Californians. Um, and if you're reaching out to do business with Californians, even, even if you're physically located in Texas, uh, you're you're going to subject yourself to California laws and the protections that we provide our residents. It's a very different world from when the rules about jurisdiction and, and where business is going to be sued and where they do business. These laws were set down when the car was a new invention. Yeah. And so the idea that you could somehow do business across state lines unless you lived in you know, like Texarkana yeah. <laughs> was, was not really something that's built into our jurisprudence and our laws. So it's a brave new world out there. And the legislatures are really struggling, I think, to keep up on a technical perspective with just understanding not only where we are now, but where are we going to be in the next 5, 10, 15, or 20 years? And how do we legislate and regulate for what our economy is going to look like, not just what it is now? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I would be really thrilled if they caught up to where we are today. It would um, be fantastic. <laughs> it, it would be. Oh, well, it's because, like, I mean, yeah, you look at, at like the the interstate commerce and the 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 um, and rules about what are you allowed to ship between states and what are you not allowed to ship between states. But they never took into um, those laws didn't contemplate digital goods. And like, if if I'm running a website and that website's on a server in Texas. Uh, but someone from California comes across state lines to access it. Am I reaching out to do business with someone in California or did they come to Texas and do business with me? Like it doesn't contemplate any of these things. Like California might say that you should block all California IP addresses if you don't want to do business with the state of California. It's it's kind of tricky. Is that even technically possible? Not really. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, that's some of like how the Baltimore Sun's probably right. trying to block some countries in Europe. They're doing it by... Uh, geotagging IP addresses, but like, I mean, because there's not really a, a more fine-grained way to do that. The uh, For listeners out there that aren't technical, when you have an internet session that goes back and forth, the, the IP address is kind of like your, your phone number on the internet, and that's the way, like, I've got a phone number for my website, you've got a phone number for you calling my website, your computer, and they talk via those numbers, but there's not a uh, a trace back to a, an address, so it's not like on where on the phone you might have caller ID and it says that here's my phone number and here's the address that phone number is at. Or if it's a cell phone on the caller ID stuff, it might say like if I dialed nine one one for my cell phone, they're going to find out here's the phone number that's calling us, here's the GPS coordinates of where this phone is at right now. That information is not shared back and forth across an, an internet communication session, so. You can kind of guess based off of where some some different address blocks sort of come from, but you you don't really have any guarantees. Right, and you know something I've seen some companies do on their terms of use and their privacy policies is they basically put a notice up that says, "Hey, we're in the U.S. Our servers are in the U.S. Your data is collected and processed in the U.S. 
we're complying with U.S. law, and if you're in Europe, don't use our website yeah. because we're not complying with GDPR. Fair warning. Don't yeah. complain. I don't know that that's really an effective – I don't think you can disclaim GDPR liability that way. Um, but it's an interesting approach to, to I think, under the American approach to law of saying, hey, yeah. I warned you yeah. that I wasn't going to do this, and you still – agreed with me in a binding contract that you were okay with me not following GDPR. It's it's a very American approach to it of uh, buyer beware, full yeah. disclosure, but I'm not really sure how well the European courts would take that. Yeah, it's, it's similar. I mean, with the, the, the California, Texas example, if uh, that it, just because a connection's coming from Europe doesn't guarantee they're European. I was over there uh, on a business trip a, a couple of weeks ago. Sure, might might be able to access stuff from over there. And while I'm in in Europe as a U.S. citizen uh, traveling, am I covered? I'm covered locally by those laws, but am I covered all of a sudden by all the EU data privacy laws, or the do the U.S. data privacy laws still apply to me? It's like they didn't really contemplate any of this stuff. Like even as we talk about state to national in the US the the whole idea of this global and global data privacy no one's talking about it at like the 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 world court levels either right and i mean the next step might be a global data privacy law as, as our world gets flatter and flatter is that where we're going who knows maybe i mean we've we've got some countries that just kind of got to catch up on some very basic stuff before we even talk about having uniformity across any kind of uh transcontinental lines yeah but i think the success of gdpr i think shows that you can bring together different countries and get them on board on something so maybe that is the eventual future i what it definitely got them on board with is over there every single website i went to especially i was doing most of my web browsing on my mobile phone uh like two-thirds of my screen was filled up with uh, cookie policy clicking acknowledgements on every single website i went to in europe so um, over here in the U.S., I know folks are like, oh, I hate these cookie pop-ups. You, you really have no idea until you go over and spend some time in Europe and browse some European websites right now. And Because, again, like I don't even know over there, does GDPR apply to me and my data? I don't think it does. I think the Irish Times or whatever, when I was in Ireland, they could collect all the information they want about me. I'm not an Irish resident. I'm not an EU resident. Well, they're pro- wherever they're processing it is still going to be subject to those protections. So you'll get – it's almost like you'll uh, – a symbiotic relationship or a parasitic relationship where you're going to get some of those protections because if they're if they're processing all their data in the EU, they're going to protect all of it the same way. They're not going to, you know, pick out and say, this guy's an American, so he goes over in the, he, he you know, goes, not very goes, protected he, bin. Yeah, he goes over in the, we, <laughs> we, we get to look at everything about this person bin, yeah. Right, well, and well, we won't, uh, you know, I think they would probably even honor a request to forget you. Yeah, um, and, and think, they, they likely will, because again, same thing as like we're talking at the state policies here in the U.S., it's hard to adopt one real strict set of rules and then sort out the other people and, and into the they can follow in under a less strict bucket because it's just the complexity is is challenging. Right. It's even if the rules are strict, it's a lot cheaper, faster and easier to comply with them all the time rather than try to parse out who they would not apply to. And I think that's why a lot of what we're seeing from the industry side on these proposed federal laws is very similar to GDPR um, because these companies are already complying with it. They've 
they've figured out how to do it. There's not much more incremental cost if they also have to do it in the U.S. So for them, they've already got those sunk costs. They've got these policies in place. It's easier and faster and uh, more uniform um, to treat everybody the same way. It streamlines the process and it, it takes away opportunities for mistakes to be made. Yeah. The more different rules and regulations you have, the more likely you are to trip up. So a lot of the proposals from industry are very similar to GDPR. Plus, again, you go back to the competitive advantage. They've already sunk these costs. They want their competitors to have to put up the same kind of cost of business, have those same kind of costs. Yeah, if you're a grocery store that operates in the U.S. and in Europe uh, right now, and you've got a member's reward program and all these things and a website, you've already done GDPR compliance. If you're a grocery store that only operates in the state of Texas, um, like one here in the San Antonio area, uh, or if you're a grocer that even only operates in the U.S., your member rewards program is likely not GDPR compliant yet because you didn't need to be. Uh, But if we have a U.S. data privacy law, then those U.S. businesses will have the same regulatory overhead there that GDPR imposed on the ones that are already doing business in Europe. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio. We're talking federal data protection and privacy law with Natalie Wilson, a, an attorney for uh, Langley and Benack here in the San Antonio area. And uh, so as we've uh, been uh, meandering around the start of this conversation covering all sorts of things. If you just turned your radio on right now, you can listen to the uh, rebroadcast of this up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, April 23rd. Uh, if you uh, want to listen to this uh, out there on a favorite podcasting service, you can speed us up. Uh, you, you can do that as well. Natalie and I were discussing a little bit before. She's got about a 30 or 40 minute commute and uh, using some podcasting streaming technology these days, you can turn the speed dial up and so she you get to listen to a whole hour-long podcast on your drive-in each day i do i listen to it on that one and a half speed and then when people talk normally it feels quite slow and painful to me yeah (laughs) so it yeah we're out there on uh, all of the podcasting services if you have a podcasting app and service that you prefer to use where you cannot find cyber talk radio uh, reach out to us on facebook or twitter let us know we will fix that and we will get you a cyber talk radio t-shirt uh, so as, as we're on this federal side of stuff, so they're, they're having some hearings about this now. They're actually, um, so they've got a budget. They've got like a lot of the basic things that it feels like the government's finally got its, its arms around these things again. So now they're, they're working on improving our lives. So I think there is now some political will for this, which I think grew out of some pretty big data breaches. I mean, for years, we've been dealing with things like the Target breach, the Home Depot breach. We're all used to replacing our debit cards every once in a while. But I think the Cambridge Analytica scandal really brought home to a lot of people just how much information is out there about us. And it's not even really the amount of information. It's the computing power that we now have. There was always a lot of information out there about us. And you go to the Bear County website and you can get your property tax history and all the properties that you've owned in Bear County. You can do private, or I'm sorry, Public Information Act requests and get a lot of information about people. Um, you know, even you know, in the early 2000s when you started getting these data aggregators who would say, oh, you know, Natalie's so and so, about so and so years old and we think she's married to so and so and she's lived in all these, you know, four or five different places. That started to be a little creepy to people, but they were like, ah, that's out there anyway. 
What's yeah. really scary now is that we have the computing power to take all that information, crunch it, and figure things out about you and predict your behavior. And I think that's what has really caught people's attention. So now there's some political will and push toward a data privacy law. And so in late February, the U.S. Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation conducted a hearing that they called Policy Principles for a Federal Data Privacy Framework. So they aren't even really quite to the legislative drafting stage. It was more to educate themselves and probably their staffs on what would a federal data privacy law even look like? What would it need? What components would it need? What would it address? And how should we address it? And the they invited some various constituents from um, industry and also public advocacy and consumer advocacy to testify about what's important in a federal data privacy law. What do we need to be considering and what should our drafting focus be? And the testimony received by the committee uniformly really emphasized transparency about what is being collected, how it's being stored, how it's being used, and also consumer choice about when data can be collected, what can be collected, how long it can be stored, how long it can be used, and uh, how it can be shared with third parties. And again, I think, you know, that takes us back to some of some of the scandals that we've had where people, you know, you may have had kind of some kind of superficial knowledge or sense that, yeah, I'm, you know, putting a lot of stuff out there about me. Or I know that somehow Google is tracking my shopping habits because stuff that I put in my shopping cart and don't buy pops up in my Facebook newsfeed for three weeks to try to get me to buy it. But when the details of these things and and the understanding of how this information is really being used um, came into sharper focus. People started to get concerned, and they want to have more control over that information. So the testimony, it was, it was really interesting to me that the industry perspective and the consumer advocacy perspective were very similar in that these are the things you should be addressing is transparency and choice. I feel like a lot of laws at both the state and federal level, have a pretty good handle already on the technical aspects of preventing digital breaches. But where U.S. law is not good is on transparency and choice of, about what is collected on individuals and how it's used. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Is like, so it's the, the digital expectation of privacy. Um, and I think like people have a, a, a personal expectation of privacy in the physical world. Like if someone was standing on the street in front of your house, taking pictures of you standing in your, your window inside your living room, like most people would say, that's creepy. Hopefully it's illegal. And hopefully I can tell that person to destroy those photos and state by state might be legal, might not be legal, um, on, for them taking a picture into your house. If they're standing on a public street in front of your house and you're, you're visible. Uh, but if you're out in a public park, is somebody allowed to take a picture of you uh, or not? Are somebody allowed to record which hours you go to the park and which hours you, you leave from the park? Are they allowed to walk around a parking lot at a public park or a, uh, a shopping mall and write down all the license plate numbers and count the number of cars in the parking lot? I mean, I think as, as you have some of these physical world examples, there's a line where, you know what, if I'm out in a park having a picnic and someone takes one picture of me as they're taking a picture of the whole park, 
that's fine. It's sort of okay. It's not creepy. If someone stood there with a camera for an hour and took pictures of me and my family having a picnic in the park, at some point you would that in the on the physical side of things that would cross over to creepy. The digital world, like it's, I think everyone feels it's fine if somebody like a website acknowledges that I visited the website. Fine, keep a record of me being there, but. Like if they knew that many websites out there have tracking to be able to see where your mouse cursor moves on the screen, how long you spend on every page, uh, uh, even if they can see, even if you tab to a different tab in your browser because they can see the session go inactive for a while. If they knew that your behavior is being tracked like at that level on the internet, people would feel that, okay, that crossed over from the one photo in the park to the creepy line. So uh, Natalie and I are going to uh, dive much more into this uh, hypothetical and some others here uh, after the break. Uh, we're going to stop for a news traffic and weather update here on 1200 WAI, and uh, we will be back with CyberTalk Radio in just a moment. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined this week by Natalie Wilson, a data protection and privacy attorney at Langley & Benack. And uh, if you're just tuning in now and wanted to hear the first half of our conversation, you can check it out on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. On the, the topic of data privacy, I've, I've uh, this is one that is uh, near and dear to my heart. I've, uh, we've only had a couple of... Uh, monologue episodes in the the whole history of cyber talk radio two of those were on data privacy uh, one of these was after um, i guess it was almost a year ago now probably the facebook uh, hearings where mark zuckerberg was in front of congress and they were talking all about this digital data collection and and these internet companies are getting singled out and then we'll talk a little bit more uh, about kind of this the actual legal the moral the like where where does the law line where's our our expectation of privacy go um in, in a moment, but uh, many of the things that these internet companies are doing are all completely legal right now. They're doing a great job of complying with the U.S. laws um, as they stand. You may not like where the laws are. Some of those are changing, um, and some conversations are at least headed in that direction now. Um, but your information has been tracked by folks for a long time. Uh, my examples I open in the whole monologue program, I won't go into anything else about it. You can you can listen on our archives, but is when you drive by the freeway, you see one of those billboards that says advertise here and it's got a phone number on it. Call that billboard owner and ask them how many cars per hour drive by. What are the demographics of the people in those cars and all sorts of, of questions about who's going to see my ad if I advertise in this billboard. And that billboard owner knows all of that information. So your information is being tracked, whether it's in the physical world or online. Um, but as we were talking at the break, Natalie, it's, some of it's a little bit easier. And sometimes we, we like the tracking. I am a fan of some of the tracking. I like the suggestions that Instagram and Facebook make for things that I might like to buy. I like it when something is Especially tracking. Especially when it's a sale. I love those sale notifications. Something I looked at and thought, you know... I don't know if I can get away with telling my husband I spent this amount of money on it, but at 40% off, I might be able to sneak it in there. Yeah. Uh, so, and a lot of it is, is really convenient. I, I love that a local grocery store that we won't give any free advertising to keeps track of 
or allows me to keep a list of what I buy every week. It makes it so much faster for me to go in, uh, click that, yes, I still want my uh, 10 or 15. Curbside pickup. It's amazing. Love that. I wish they would remember that I like my groceries at a certain time on a certain day every week and just reserve that spot for me. Uh, maybe that's coming. That might be maybe coming. if we gave them some free advertising, they'd do that yes, for us. So. But um, but yeah, so all of that is is perfectly legal. And as with the physical privacy out out and about in the world, there's a difference between our legal expectation of privacy uh, and our ethical or social contract expectation of privacy. You're out in the park. Uh, having a, a picnic with your family, you might expect that, yeah, a stranger's not going to stand 10 feet away from you and take a hundred pictures yeah. um, and, you know, be zooming in or listening to your, you know, actively listening Listen to, to your, your conversation. conversation. Yeah. Um, so there might be a social line there that is, that is well within legal boundaries. And at some point, you know, following you for three weeks and taking pictures of everywhere you go, that might start to track or to uh, cross into that criminal area of law that you do not practice. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I stay far away yeah. from that but as much as I can. Hopefully there's a stalking law out there, Texas and elsewhere, that says if somebody follows you around and photographs everything of you in your life for, for three weeks, that, that you could hold them accountable some way to stop doing that. Yeah, we would, we would hope so. Yeah. But digitally, our boundaries as as a society are very different we are somehow much more comfortable with a much higher level of tracking and a much higher level of scrutiny and a much higher level of analysis of what we are doing i mean we joke about my my love of online shopping and and the suggestions i get but it's not just that the magic of the internet is you know, telling me this blouse I looked at is now on sale. What what it is also doing is saying, hey, I know that you looked at these 10 items over the last week, and I am now going to figure out something you haven't looked at that you will like. And that is, if you really stop to think about it, you know, it sounds a little bit like a science fiction novel and maybe a little bit like a a nightmare. And, but right now, perfectly legal and some of these proposed bills would maintain a lot of that actually yeah and i mean i have i have some friends that have gone completely all in on this like where they their their calendar syncs up with a digital virtual assistant and everything and that virtual assistant is constantly their gps coordinates are turned on all the time so that it can be aware of what address you're at right now what address you're going to and it can pop in and notify you via text message or other things to say hey by the way, you thought it was going to take you 10 minutes to go from this meeting to the next, but there's a, a road closure right now or a, an accident or something else. Now it's going to take 30. You either need to leave now or notify your next appointment you're going to be late. Um, so like they've gone all in and given up all privacy for massive convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and efficiency. Yeah. I and, mean, and I'm on the other side of the coin on this one. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, about my level of uh, lack of tracking <laughs> here in a few minutes. We'll never be able to find you. No. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I tend to dislike the Internet of Things. You know, Alexa yeah. scares me. I refuse to have that. So there's not one of those in your house. Definitely not one no. of those. I don't. Have you read the privacy policy on one of those? I have not, oh, actually. Yeah, it could be I'm... a fun one to read the privacy policy and write a blog post about it. The world may read that one for you. 
I'm uh, based on the uh, the breaches that have happened. I'm not sure that the privacy policy is all that effective anyway. Yeah, no, it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, so on the the level of tracking that uh, for for me personally, so in, in by the way out there in your settings, this is one of the ones as well. Most of the the large tech companies give you the ability to uh, turn off much of this tracking if you choose to. Um, because they have systems in place now to follow GDPR, even if you're not in Europe, if you're in U.S., uh, many of these tools are available to you through their platform. So, like as a Google is uh, an example from the search engine. If I go to the search engine, instead of getting customized recommendations, I get the top trending searches on the internet, which gives me an interesting view into uh, what humanity cares about right now. At least people that use the Google search engine in the U.S. Um, and, and same, similarly with Facebook, you can go in and turn off. Uh, many of the the different uh, things from it serving personalized ads to you um, based off of your past things that you like. Um, so they can go just to g general demographic ads, or you can even tell Facebook that you don't want to be served advertisements that are based off of your age or your location or, or anything else that they ha they have for categories for, for advertisers. So uh, if you do not like some of these things, uh, go in there, search, and look um, in the privacy management tools uh, on for Facebook or for Google or for these services, and you can you can have many different things forgotten. Um, yeah, I was I was reading as we were talking on the break um, about the the top search results that were available. One of them was uh, the Lori Laughlin college admissions scandal is is back in the news again, and I guess there was a, a, a hearing in, in the court following up on it. So like that one stuck around in the the top searches for a while, but. Um, I don't play computer games much anymore. Borderlands 3 from Epic Games. Apparently, there's some new thing coming out there. This could be a, a hot new game. And then uh, Joaquin Phoenix is going to be the Joker in some new movie. There's a trailer on the internet now. Uh, so this is like the stuff that the internet's searching about. I don't know anything. I mean, half the other stuff I'm looking at on here, I don't even know who these names are. Celebrity so, gossip sites I don't follow. <laughs> that list made me feel really old and kind of boring because the only thing I've been following is, you know, Aunt Becky's legal woes. Reliving my misspent youth with Full House. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so uh, on on the 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 data privacy side of these this piece, so we're working on federal legislation around this. Um, and I think as you you get this cyber law, like people call you and expect you to know data privacy and data breaches and data breach notification and. So how do you try to keep up with all these different areas? Because I think to me these feel like different things, but I think to a non-internet person, they all sound like the same thing. No, they they can be very different, and you know, part of the way I try to keep up with it is by reading kind of boring stuff and having to forego my diet of celebrity gossip. You know, some areas uh, of this law are very well settled and and are not changing much. Things like HIPAA and um, uh, the financial sector, the, the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act stuff, that's pretty well settled. It's, it's not evolving um, every day, but it does seem like almost every day I'm reading news articles or blog posts. I'm following other cybersecurity lawyers because they are a great resource, especially if they're a little more specialized than I am, I am in one niche. Then, uh, you know, they're sharing what they're seeing, what they're tracking. The um, the Association of Privacy Professionals, the IAPP, they put out, you know, great, very fast, digestible bites. And then I can kind of dig into 
what I'm finding more interesting or, or where I want to follow up and and read more about it. But, you know, some of this stuff is getting very mainstream. And so even uh, our, our mainstream news media, not in the pejorative term. Yes. <laughs> They're they're carrying stories about this and and where this is going. So, but it it is a lot of a lot to keep up with. What's always funny to me is that people will come into my office and be like, "Oh, you're you're the cybersecurity lawyer," and they expect me to understand the technical aspects of it. And I I have a very very superficial understanding of how technically data collection works, how storage works, how vulnerability protection works. I have very rudimentary understanding. My background is not in computer science. Um, I understand enough to understand the law. I will not be the senator at the hearing demanding of the Google witness. Will you know if I move from one side of the room to the other? And the poor witness is just like, it depends on what your settings say. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, So I'm a little better than that, but maybe not much. Yeah. And so it's, on this from like where the the law is at so in in texas i know the the bar association's got a a bunch of different legal areas of of specialization you can be an appellate attorney or a civil attorney or specialized in criminal and it's like a separate distinction after you get licensed do they have anything around privacy cyber internet data yet they do not yet i am actually board certified in business bankruptcy law okay through that program but i am certified in U.S. Uh, information privacy law through the IAPP, through through their program. Okay. So it's a um, it's available to non-lawyers as well, but it is an industry certification as opposed to a bar certification. That's interesting. Yeah. So like, from uh, listeners out there, as you're thinking through, well, like, where is the law on this stuff? Even the all of the, the lawyers don't even have a specialty in their own legal hierarchy of bar association specializations for privacy data breach cyber yet so are they talking do you even know if they're talking about it at the state at the bars level i don't know you know they just introduced construction law like two years ago and child (laughs) welfare law was new this year so the world's oldest industry construction (laughs) like the first thing we did we first we made fire then we started building things and they just now have a specialization in it okay Um, i I think it's a ways away yeah um and they may not do it since there are already competing um, private sector in, ones. Private sector and then maybe ones. if we end up with federal law, maybe it doesn't make sense to be specialized in the Texas version. Well, my specialty is in federal law. Bankruptcy okay. law. Yeah, bankruptcy federal, is so. federal law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so I don't might. know. Maybe they will. I don't know if I'll take it, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the CIPP test was hard Both. enough. Yeah. I don't know if I want to do it again. Oh. So uh, I guess uh, we were talking about the, the hearing in the Senate. Um, and there's some more proposals out here as we're looking through notes for the show. So uh, Senator Marco Rubio um, introduced a privacy bill um, at the start of this year. Right. Early this year, right at the beginning of this uh, congressional session. And um, it's really interesting um, and maybe not in a good way. It was not received with much fanfare. There are some odd things about it right now much of the rulemaking authority in the data privacy arena is delegated to the federal trade commission because it has to do with interstate commerce most of the time uh, or it affects interstate commerce and the way that our federal system works to in theory make it more efficient 
is that Congress can say, we're going to pass a law. It's kind of broad because we want it to be able to adapt to the changing world. And also, we're not subject matter experts in everything. So we're going to pass a law that says we're going to have data protection and we're going to pass rulemake delegate rulemaking authority to the Federal Trade Commission because they know more about this than we do. They understand the technical aspects of it better than we do. And then the Federal Trade Commission will go through the administrative rulemaking process where they propose rules, take comment, have hearings. And then and then the law is implemented through rules. And the rules are really where you where someone would go to say, what do I need to do to comply with this law? And from my perspective, that's really thoughtful. This doesn't happen as much as, as I would hope. But the, yeah, the law should provide a framework and then for the specific policy to get implemented, the specific regulations to be implemented. And you let that happen in a non-lawmaking setting because technology is going to change very quickly. And sometimes we can get bills through Congress. Sometimes we can't get bills through Congress. And if technology changes, we don't want to have a spot for six years where we can't get the law updated because the law was very specific on something that now is irrelevant. Right. And and HIPAA works exactly this way. Um, So Congress passed HIPAA, which basically announced the policy of we are going to protect protected or sensitive health information for individuals because we want to facilitate electronic medical records to make medical care more efficient, more reliable, and more uniform. And then the Department of Health and Human Services is actually the one who develops and enforces the privacy rule and the high-tech rule, which is the, the technical components of it. And so that is an example of where this has worked really well. What Marco Rubio's bill would propose, though, is that Congress would actually pass the, a very specific law and would not delegate rulemaking authority to the Federal Trade Commission unless Congress couldn't get a bill passed within two years. Given the current state of our Congress, it seems more likely than not that they wouldn't be able to get this done in two years. And then the Federal Trade Commission would be two years behind in their rulemaking process. And that would be two more years where it's hard for businesses to comply with data protection law. Co- consumers feel like they're not very protected and nobody's very happy. So it was a, an odd way to go about it. And, um, you know, the commentary on uh, Senator Rubio's bill was – uh, was fairly critical, um, especially because it would expressly preempt state privacy laws. So any state that had a law that was stricter than what Congress eventually passed, those protections would go away. So states like California and Massachusetts that have notoriously protective laws, are their citizens are suddenly less protected. That was really not viewed favorably by a lot of commentators. Uh, So it was an interesting first step. I think it's probably a non-starter. Yeah. So and uh, on all of this, I think we've been talking under the privacy around consumer and individual uh, privacy. How does business to business, we'll switch here before we, we run out of time in the program, talk a little bit about business to business privacy. So does a business have the same expectation of privacy when doing business with another business 
that a consumer does? In certain areas. Certainly a business's financial information is treated with just as much sensitivity as an individual's. Uh, you, you want your account numbers and things like that to be protected. Where a business might get even more privacy consideration is in the realm of trade secrets and proprietary information. Your customer lists, um, formulas, uh, um software programs, what you know, the things that your business has developed that give you competitive advantages, um, copyrights, patent. And those protections are actually very well developed in both the state law and the federal law, both under statutes and in the jurisprudence. So for business to business, a lot of the concern is more about making sure that technology is giving the appropriate protections to information that is already protected. So for example, if I'm going to um, be accessing uh, parts of your servers that have proprietary data or proprietary formulas, proprietary software on them, I have to guarantee that nothing I do is going to cause a release of that information. A lot of the ways we deal with this business to business is in indemnities. So yeah, all I, in private party contracts. Right. Yeah. That's that's really the way it's it's dealt with more than through uh, statutory initiatives. Yeah. Say if you, if you Natalie, you're browsing uh, a website to shop for things from your own personal computer on your own personal internet connection versus you browsing to buy new file folders for the law firm from the law firm's computer on the law firm's internet connection. Is there a is there a different set of privacy? rules that apply to you as the individual on your individual systems versus you as a an attorney at a law firm buying things on their assets on their behalf? In some states, there there may be. I mean, certainly um, in my employment agreement, there yeah. may be something that says whatever I do on my company's computer is fair game for them to monitor and record and track. Uh, when it comes to the actual interaction with the company that I would be purchasing the file folders from, it's really not much different. They're going to keep my financial data, whether it's my personal card or my business card, the same. Um, the privacy policy would, on their website would apply to me as a contract no matter which capacity I was shopping in. So if they say, I will never sell your data to third parties, they don't get to say, well, you were shopping with your corporate card today, so I'm going to tell them that Langley Banak bought 8 million flash drives. There must be something going on over there. I don't know. Maybe someone's yeah. stealing all their data. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So if the, the it, yeah, I guess I'm not aware of any businesses out there that have a different privacy policy that says, here's how we handle consumer information. Here's how we handle businesses on our site. I'm not aware of anybody that does that. I think it would be too burdensome to... Um, Back to your GDPR thing again. It's right. just like, I'm just going to treat everybody in that bucket because it's too hard to sort out who is who. Right. Yeah. Uh, so for for additional information on this, uh, obviously folks can reach out to you. Uh, um, the uh, International Association of Privacy Professionals. Uh, that's a good website to read to learn more about privacy. Where else uh, out there would you you send somebody to learn good, sensible information? Because it feels like there's lots of sensational news these days about all this privacy stuff as well. It is. It's it's hard to um, to kind of parse through it and to find, you know, honestly, good tech journalism that yeah. can explain to people in language 
they understand. I mean, I just try to go with, you know, kind of well-respected journalistic entities, um, you know, entities that have been around for uh, for a long time and kind of withstood the tens- the test of time and have high reputational standards. You know, honestly, someone that I love on this topic is John Oliver, though. Yeah. If you want to laugh while you're being, you know, yeah. scared pantsless, uh, he he actually describes these things really, really well. I mean, not just yeah, not- satirically, but accurate still. Yeah, I've I've not right. seen any of his rants that have been what I would consider factually inaccurate. But there, he on some podcast probably. <laughs> spoke about their fact-checking process. Um, I, I'm guessing it was probably on Fresh Air. Um, but it, it was really fascinating. I mean, they they spend a lot of time making sure they're getting it right. You know, one other thing to do is to also try to get information about this from various perspectives. So you look at, you know, read some more conservative-leaning stuff, read some, read some more liberal-leaning stuff. But again, there seems to be consensus across the political spectrum on the idea that this stuff is important. Uh, there may be some room around the margins where people disagree about how to go about it, but the consensus really is that consumers deserve to understand how their pri- how their personal data is being collected, used, and shared, and um, and that there should be a little more uniformity so that people can understand better. So, well, thank you very much for joining us today on CyberTalk Radio. If you just uh, tuned in now and want to listen to this episode completely or any of our past episodes, check out our website at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, find us on your favorite podcasting service where you can hear more about data privacy and uh, all things cybersecurity across the Internet.